Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Healing the Nations podcast. And we have a very special guest who I wanted for a long time. And praise God, the Lord opened the way. It's Pastor Anil Kanda. Uh, Pastor Kanda, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Orange County. I live and work in Central California. Um, I work with young adults, but um, I've had a very interesting past. Grew up a Hindu. I also come from a Sikh background. And about the uh, year 2000, I became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Now, Pastor Kanda, your education background is really unique for a pastor, is it not? What are some of your uh, education or academic pursuits? Um, I have finished an A in language and rationality, which is like philosophy. I finished uh, a bachelor's in religion, a bachelor's in political science. Uh, currently, I'm working on two masters, one in public health and one in theological study. A pastor having a political science degree is very unique. Uh, what caused you to go that route? You know, um, I've always had an interest in political science, international relationships, understanding the rise and fall of nations. But um, it wasn't until I was pastoring in California that I was able to do some campus ministry. In order to do campus ministry, I had to take some classes. And uh, when I finished up, you know, associates, I decided to continue. And I thought political science, I'm interested in that. So, yeah. Now, after the recent 2016 election, it seems that elements of our church have been more vocal on politics and especially partisan politics. And what is your perspective on how we as a church should be involved in political issues? You know, it's really interesting. In the past, um, probably the last five or six years, uh, the research has shown, um, the data has shown that the church has been fairly evenly split in regards to Democratic views and Republican views and, uh, you know, a small minority, you know, designated as independents. However, the last two or three years, um, we have about 51% of the church that leans more towards Democratic view. This is the church in America. And so um, I think that one of the reasons why we sometimes see affiliation with uh, political parties, I should say the primary reason, is the preservation of the nation. Uh, sometimes people believe, you know, we need... Uh, greater morality should be legislated. So Republican Party seems oftentimes very attractive. Uh, others, they believe that we need a complete separation of church and state. And so joining up with the or aligning themselves more with the, more of the Democratic Party along the spectrum. So you see, there's a variety of reasons why Seventh-day Adventists, um, you know, are connected with, you know, party lines. But religious liberty and religion in the government is definitely a, a vector point of controversy. And so it causes people to align with one party or the other. Now, can a Seventh-day Adventist be consistent with his biblical principles and his convictions and yet run for political office? You know, I really believe that being in political office is not a sin, you know, and I believe if, you know, someone feels a conviction, they feel like God is leading and they you know we have some quotes in education I believe where Ellen White talks about you know uh, young people who have dreams to be part of the legislative or the law making part of our government I think there's nothing wrong with that but they also have to recognize a couple things and that is that when you align yourself with a political party and one of the reasons people do is oftentimes to get donor big funding in order to win campaigns when you align yourself with a political party you are in some sense representing the views of that political party. What we're discovering more and more is that uh, political parties obviously switch their philosophical views 
every few years we see strong changes take place. And uh, right now we definitely see a polarizing that's really happened the last few years and views that are a little bit probably more extreme than they were in years past. I used to present a lot of end time events in the past. Back in the early 2000s, after September 11, uh, we would present issues about President Bush and the Patriot Act and name him by name, and there was no offense taken, but it seems like recently, if you mention this president, there's more sensitivity even within the church. Have you run into that type of sensitivity in presenting prophecy and whatnot? Yes, that's exactly right. You'll find that people are down the line with political views as they are with religion. There's nothing more that sparks controversy and argument and uh, lines than mention of political affiliations or individuals. Um, there's something that happens on a very visceral level when politicians are mentioned that may be part of an opposition party. And uh, so we definitely see because of social media and mass communication, globalization, that information comes sorted, it becomes edited, it becomes distilled down. And it has a very provocative, very sensational effect. And unfortunately, uh, many Christians have embraced what's coming down the pipeline, and they have, you know, identified themselves and labeled others, you know, who identify in other parties. So it's a strange phase right now in Earth's history and the church as well. So how do we resolve this polarization that's seeping in? Sure. I think it's very important that those who have positions of influence that are part of the institution, um, whether they're church, uh, whether they're pastor, whether they're educator, whether they're administrator in the conference, that first, I think they need to be mindful of lending their influence to a particular party, um, a particular movement. They need to be mindful of all that that embraces. You know, when I tell people when they want to go out to protest, I said, you absolutely have a right to do that, according to your First Amendment. But I also want you to be aware that when you align yourself with certain groups, that you become a representative of those groups. Now you say, well, I don't believe in those things, but it's not about what you believe, it's how you are being perceived. And so I think it's, we need to be extremely mindful of that. The other thing I really challenge people is do your research, do your education, understand the big picture here. Um, the big picture of things. The third thing I really challenge people on is probably the, the one thing that we need to defend more than anything else as Seventh-day Adventists is the First Amendment. Because of what we understand in Bible prophecy, Seventh-day Adventists early on in the church were defenders of the First Amendment. And that is part of our heritage. So I think if there's one amendment that is the foundation of the dynamic of principles of freedom. It is the First Amendment, and I think we should take a, a valid interest in that, rather wherever we are in the political spectrum. Do you see threats in religious liberty both in the left and the right? Absolutely, absolutely. Every time uh, a political party comes into power, it changes or adjusts the primary opposing political party. Philosophies change, and we see stronger um, elements coming into one political party because apparently what they were doing before didn't work. So as one party is in power, the other party begins to adjust its philosophy, oftentimes becoming more edgier, uh, more extreme. And so what we find indefinitely in um, both political parties, the primary political parties, we do find elements that are threats to religious liberty.
Let's not fool ourselves on this issue. There are absolutely philosophies that exist that undermine the principles of a free nation, our right to worship. And if you think that's not the case, um, I think time will prove you wrong on this issue. And so I think it's very important to understand that we need to be mindful that that this kind of liberty, this freedom, this foundational freedom is something that needs to be held with vigilance. And so how we as a church relate to the government, is it different from how other evangelical Christians relate to the government and lobbying and being involved in and campaigning and whatnot? Is there a difference? Yeah, I do. I think that um, it's going to be easy to look for the top-down approach where you want to legislate certain things. Uh, But if you look at the methodology of Jesus, you find that he understood really that change was going to be brought about through the gospel. And you cannot legislate the gospel. Um, When you begin to combine civil law with religion, that always makes, you know, a... um, that's always a concoction for trouble and oppression. So um, I think we as an institution, we need to be mindful about any political thrust. Um, it's very easy in the evangelical world to, you know, legislate, to lobby for views that are based upon theological beliefs. But we need to understand we do live in a pluralistic society. And we do need to understand that um, there are people who have are in various persuasions, religious persuasions, and we need to safeguard their religious liberty as well because they have come to our aid in these times. So I think the institution, the church as an institution, need to be very mindful and tactful. And if they're going to make any kind of statement, there should be a general consensus that exists. Um, there should be very strong theological um, evidence behind that as well that this isn't just like a political issue that we feel convicted by the spirit of god we, we should make a statement about this now if an individual wants to join up and you know join into the legislation party legis- a legislation process they have the right to do that we do see examples of esther we do see examples of joseph and daniel individuals although they were thrust into that position they still thrived in that position and preserved the nation of Israel during that time. The people of God, their preservation was priority in their ministry. But um, we need to be mindful of the institution as a whole making political thrust or statements. Should religious liberty in the First Amendment be applied to all religions or just specifically Christian? Because we live in a, a pluralistic society, we need to understand that religious liberty is important for all people. Not only have we used court cases with Jehovah Witnesses and with Sikhs and Muslims, um, those various groups and leaders from those groups have come to the aid of Seventh-day Adventists. Oftentimes, if you look at religious liberty pictures, you will see Seventh-day Adventists, you'll see Sikh Americans, you'll see Muslims, because they want to make sure that their individual rights Religious liberty is defended for all. So there's nothing wrong with joining up and being aligned with others who care about religious liberty for everybody. The reason why I ask this is that even within Seventh-day Adventist circles, as I'm active in social media, there's been an undercurrent of anti-Muslim sentiment in certain circles, especially 
with some of our brethren in certain parts of the country. It seems like the uh, ideas of certain political agendas have seeped into the church. And so how should we reach these people that are non-Christian? First of all, I think we need to see everybody as a recipient for the kingdom. Um, and that should take priority over our political views. Revelation 14 describes the gospel going out to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And wherever we're planted, whoever is in our proximity, in our vicinity, they are candidates for the kingdom. So I think that if our political views end up causing us to treat others in a way that's not Christ-like, um, we have done a disservice to the gospel. We have done a disservice to you know, all that Jesus taught in the Great Commission. So I think our Great Commission needs to take priority over all the political agendas or positions that we hold. And if anything challenges or threatens that gospel commission, uh, you can rest assured that we're in the wrong place right there. Now, um, social justice is a big buzzword, even within the church. And there are some that cite Adventist history where we have an abolitionist legacy and when the Fugitive Slave Act was passed during the Compromise of 1850, uh, the Spirit of Prophecy warned to disobey it openly. And so how do we balance keeping the laws of the land but yet preserve justice for those that are oppressed? Sure, that's a very good point, a very good question. I think the first thing to know and understand is this. Because of our First Amendment right, we, you do have absolutely the right to protest, freedom of speech, freedom of belief. That is guaranteed to every you know, citizen who is here in this land. No question about that. You have freedom to do that. When it comes to social justice, we need to understand something. There are several organizations that probably Christians might not affiliate themselves that are under the umbrella of social justice. And because of that affiliation, we need to be mindful of how that term is used. Um, for some, that term just, you know, applies to civil rights for, you know, minority groups. Others, that term can apply to, you know, everything that has to do with, you know, sexuality. It can, it can apply to, um, you know, those that are less fortunate. There's just multiple groups and organizations and philosophies that are connected to social justice. That being said, number one, you have a right to protest. You absolutely do. It is your God-given right. Number two, be mindful of all that's connected to social justice. Be careful how you use that banner. I think we need to be mindful of that um, because we have a witness and our witness is not just something we do proactively. A witness is what we are, who we are, how people view us. Now that shouldn't constrain us or prevent us from you know, stepping out, but at the same time, we need to understand that um, if, if there's a potential that doors could close, opportunities can be shut down because of my affiliation with this, I need to be careful of that. The third thing I'd say is this, Peaceful protests, there's absolutely nothing wrong with peaceful protests. If your peaceful protest is done for, you know, a particular cause, as long as it maintains the dignity of Christian living, then I think that there's nothing wrong with that. But when, you know, protest begins to become, you know, more aggressive, becomes violent, it becomes something that is destructive, I don't believe in any way that that, especially in this time of Earth's history, that that is Christian or that is aligning with the biblical principles that we find in scripture. Now abortion has now come back to the forefront, especially mm -hmm. with the recent law in New York. And there's been a, more of a call for the Seventh Avenue Church in the official statement to speak out against abortion. 
How should we deal with the abortion issue? You know, I think that this also goes back to another issue. When the church as an institution speaks out one political issue, they're pressured to, then they're going to be continually pressured to speak about other political issues. And unfortunately, when you begin to speak about political issues, um, you can't but help be labeled or categorized. So I think we need to be mindful of that. When it comes to the abortion issue, I think that— um, I think people need to do their homework on it, first of all. I think that they need to understand all that's involved in this thing. I think that when they do their research, they need to look at a variety of news articles when it comes to that. Like every time I read something that's sensational in the political news spectrum, I always follow it up by a, you know, a search wherever the term or the topic is mentioned other areas. I usually wait a couple days before I comment on it because uh, sometimes things pan out, they filter out, and then there's new light brought into the circumstance situation. Now, your question had to do with how Seventh Day Adventist should relate to the abortion crisis. I think if, um, you know, when you study scripture, I think we get this very strong idea that God, he loves life. We also understand in scripture that it was even an unborn child that gave the Messiah praise more before anybody else did, John the Baptist, in his mother's womb. We see that in the example of Jacob and Esau, nations are destined and prophesied through the womb. We see throughout Scripture that God um, was preserving the seed. So I think God very much cares about you know um, a mother's what's in a mother's womb. However, I think we need to understand too that there are. This is not just completely a black and white issue as well. There are rare occasions, and generally the argument that is used, what about incest, what about rape? That usually, don't, that usually doesn't occur statistically in most of the reasons why abortions happen. They usually happen because it's just an unwanted pregnancy and you know, some, you know, things took place. But you do have rare cases in which there is rape and incest. And all I can say is that there needs to be a case-by-case basis um, when it comes to those things. Roe versus Wade definitely dealt with, you know, um, the first trimester, and as, you know, the baby begins to grow, the fetus begins to grow, that a, a woman's right becomes limited, but states are now voting that, you know, you know, um, that abortion can take place later on in the, the growth. So I think that we need to be mindful of that. When we have the power to vote, we can, we can vote. Um, I think that we should educate others. I also think that we should be open to dialogue, um, and communicate in a way that educates rather than aggravates. This is a controversial question. You don't have to answer it. We could go to the next one. Sure. Um, how should Seventh-day Adventists relate to undocumented immigrants? Sure. You know, that is definitely a difficult question. And, uh, you know, I am the child of immigrants. Uh, my parents came here through the immigration process. It took them a matter of time. Immigration matters. Um, the, the whole process is something that you, you cherish citizenship. I value the experience my parents went through. However, my parents' experience aren't the experience of many people. I know that there are issues with immigration. Uh, immigration reform needs to happen, and that's just there's a strong consensus among Republicans and Democrats as well. Re immigration reform absolutely needs to happen. So, number one, immigration reform needs to happen. I think we understand that. Um, number two, I think that when we understand people as candidates for the kingdom, 
I think we need to make sure that in that understanding that our prophetic views are not always panned out easily when it comes to political views and what we want the government to legislate. I think we need to first understand that the people around me, that you know, the immigrants that are already in the country, that I have definitely an obligation to reach out to them. And people use the argument that, okay, when we, you know, we'll finally open up the borders, we'll let people come in, you know, then that could be a way for them to reach the gospel. But if we're not reaching the people who are already here, what, mat what point what does it matter if we let people in? So I think we need to reframe how we understand the gospel commission and our obligation to those that are in the land already. Um, number three, I have many friends who are not documented and they come from very tragic backgrounds and my heart goes out to them. And I always think to myself, what can I do? I have friends who are immigration lawyers. I send it, to, you know, talk to them about it. But I think that there are so many issues that I just can't, vote black and white on this thing. Um, you know, the fourth issue is this, that fundamental to a nation are borders. Every nation has borders. And we can see from the EU that when borders are opened up completely, when we see open borders, that in time, many of those nations' leaders, there's a whiplash effect that takes place and we see um, a pushback a negativity towards immigration when it's flooded into a nation. So I think we need to understand borders are essential to the foundation of any nation whatsoever. But so again, I guess what I'm saying at the very end of it, there are so many factors to this question, um, but I think people need to vote their conscience. I think people need to understand all that's involved. Um, I think people we need to more than just be understood is understand. So we need to see both sides of the issues. So when it comes to political issues, I always like to take a step back and say, okay, what are the big what's the big picture here? What are the other issues at stake? Um, what, what's my freedom and capability? What does that al allow me to do in this the participation of this process and to carry things out in a way that's honorable to God and, like Paul says, that every man should live in peace? So then... Seventh-day Adventists, do we have our own separate type of social justice ministry outside of the political realm? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I think we do, actually. I think that we do have health message. Um, you can read some of the writings of the, the pioneers, you know, and especially Ellen White, where she talks about, you know, uh, we should vote on the issue of virtue and temperance. We see temperance marches happening and stuff. I think the reason why strong temperance marches was happening, I think the Lord was really preventing changes in society that could have brought about more destructive elements in time. And so there was a check on those forces. And so you see this thrust, even in the spirit of prophecy, to participate in uh, preserving society by keeping out, you know, obviously um, liquor and those kinds of, you know, similar things. So I think we see the health message um, being a very strong uh, platform for reaching people on social justice. Um, environmentalism is connected to the health message. I think caring for the poor is connected through the health message. And one of my um, Masters of Public Health courses, I used to think people making bad decisions about health, oh, that's just simply a matter of people making bad decisions about health, that they just made bad decisions. But now I've come to realize, look, you will not find um, health food stores in low-income areas. There's just no money there. 
So the access to fresh fruits and vegetables is not always there. There's also cultural beliefs about food and diet that um, affect, you know, families. Um, there's also that's it's in certain cultures a distrust of medical professionals that exist. So we see that there are a variety of dynamics um, that exists when it comes to public health, the health message. But this is where the health message and the gospel combined can reach so many people. It can lift man up. It can um, add to his life. It can you know help him to come out of the mess that sin has really put us in. And uh, I think this is why Jesus went after certain foundational elements rather than you know dealing with legislation and all sorts of things. You shared with me in a one-on-one -on -one conversation that the Lord has convicted you on how we should respect our political leaders that are elected in office. Can you share what revelation that God has shown you about that issue? Sure. Um, I'm somebody that often gets in trouble with my mouth. And so uh, I'll say things that I regret. It's easy for me to comment on things and um, share my opinion. I'm very, very much opinionated person. I don't know if it's sort of the Indian thing in me, Punjabi. But um, over the last few years, I started getting this conviction as the study of God's word. I need to be careful that my comments um, about political leaders um, isn't something that very much matches the way that the world speaks about people they disagree with. I need to be careful of my tone, the insinuation, the implications that come from uh, my opinions about political leaders. And the reason why is because we're given commands in Scripture that we should respect the authorities of the land. It doesn't mean we have to always agree with them. And it doesn't mean we always have to vote with them. Um, but it does mean that we are required to give a certain amount of dignity to another human being. You know, the one thing you learn in leadership is that leadership is not easy. There are so many facets to leadership. You know, it's easy to criticize those in leadership. But when you're in leadership yourself and you realize the tasks, the dynamics, the pressures, the fast decisions, it's easy to look at people in those circumstances and share an opinion about them. And once an opinion is shared about individuals like that, it's hard to undo. Um, the other thing, you know, I learned is that one day Seventh-day Adventists are going to be really challenged with how the world sees us. Um, Ellen White talks about words that will be, that were once said um, in, in ways that were not careful will be brought back to Seventh-day Adventists and used against them um, in, in a kind of an attack that will take place. During her time, there was no internet. During her time, they didn't record, um, you know, the kind of recording we have, documentation that we have. Everything is online. Everything is put in databanks. Now information can be retrieved and said, and we see this happening in, you know, within Hollywood. We see sort of a, a cannibalism happening where, Hollywood will turn on itself because of comments that were said literally years ago um, in maybe perhaps a moment of humor, comedy, exaggeration, and so on and so on. It will be used against them. So I think Seventh Amos need to be very mindful of how we speak about political leaders. And when we speak in criticism, we need to be mindful that that criticism isn't really ad hominem, where there's an attack on the individual and that person rather than the issues or, you know, the, the circumstances that are, that are part of that. Uh, final question. Sure. What can we as just regular church members do in regards to 
protecting our First Amendment rights and to promote religious liberty as we are called to do as a church? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think uh, something that will help is kind of the sort of the little bit of the background of why the First Amendment is so important. We have the Constitution, right? I think there's about 160 different countries that crafted their Constitution after our Constitution. Um, the Constitution was not made by people who were backwards or people who lived in the past. They were made by deep thinkers who decided to craft the principles of a free nation. Um, they looked at various models. They wrestled with the issues. And uh, Benjamin Franklin's a quote that's oftentimes attributed to him when he came out of discussions about these founding documents was asked, you know, by um, a lady who was waiting outdoors with, along with a group of people, you know, um, what are we? What kind of nation will we be? A monarchy? Um, you know, a republic? You know, um, what kind of government? And he replied, a republic, if you can keep it. And I think it's really important to understand that there are certain kinds of obligations that we have in Scripture. Even though we may understand prophecy will happen, and we understand it's inevitable, certain prophetic events, it doesn't release us from our responsibility to prevent those things from happening. Um, God talks about the coming of Babylon, but he gave specific instructions to Israel to prevent those kinds of things to happen. And they did not. Babylon did come as prophesied. But God still holds people accountable. So I think while we're still living in this free nation, I think it's important to understand that we have an obligation to protect the First Amendment. So why is the First Amendment so important? Well, the Constitution um, is really hinges upon the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights are super important. Uh, they were placed there, um, pushed by anti-federalists, who were trying to safeguard our individual liberty, to protect us from government intrusion. And um, the Bill of Rights, the first 10 minutes, are super important. And so you have the Constitution really built upon, right, you know, the, the Bill of Rights as very foundational. But the Bill of Rights within the 10 Amendments are based upon um, the strongest anchor is the First Amendment. Now, what is the First Amendment? The First Amendment guarantees the right to protest. It guarantees the right of free speech, and it guarantees the right of belief or separation of church and state. And what you find is within the First Amendment, you find something contingent as well. Our freedom of protest is based upon our freedom of speech, but our freedom of speech is based upon our freedom of belief. And what we find core or fundamental to the First Amendment is the basic foundational liberty of belief, our worship of God. And we understand from Revelation chapter 13 that these things will be challenged one day. But I think that when you respect someone's right to worship, it is the foundation for a successful nation. So it's not just simply preserving us from destruction or complete, you know, uh, oppression. It's also the foundation of um, a successful nation, a good nation. And so I think Seventh-day Adventists who really care about Sabbath keeping, who really care about worship and religious liberty, I think um, we need to understand the First Amendment above any amendment is the one that we need to safeguard, we need to be careful about. We need to constantly in our surveying of political events to participate in the process, to pray, um, to educate 
especially in regards to the preservation of the First Amendment, um, you know, especially in this time of Earth's history, um, where eventually, as we see a breakdown in the principles that made this nation great, eventually that amendment will be challenged in ways that it hasn't been challenged in recent times. And so I think we need to guard wherever we're at in the political spectrum, that First Amendment. And I think it is the duty of every citizen in this free land to guard, to uphold, to protect that First Amendment. Pastor Kanda, thank you so much for joining us in this episode. I really appreciate your thoughts. Can you close us with a word of prayer? Sure. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much again. And Lord, in this world of confusion and uh, trying to navigate between um, extreme immorality or extreme legislation, Lord, we pray that the Word of God would be um, the most important thing to us. Um, and Lord, that you would help us to understand how we should relate to this, um, give us wisdom and tact, and most of all, Christ-like spirit. Thank you again for being with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.